Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com. Oh, listen to you singing along to Ricky Rick with Boz Zonke on cliffcentral.com. Thursday afternoon, another, another edition of Between Two Films. Hello, I'm Mabali Moloye. And I'm Aspasia Karras. And um, sure, as always, we've got an exciting show lined up for you today. We've got a journalist, author, and basically superwoman, uh, Mandy Wiener, joining us this afternoon. We're going to be yes, talking about some some women doing incredible work, doing um, a lot of good work, putting rapists behind bars, which is... It is amazing. It was her investigation this month, and I was in the Claire and frankly... I'm impressed. Yeah, I think there is no other word to describe it except impressed. Uh, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Should we not waste another second and just go... Let's st- not waste another let's second. get straight into the women's news. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with the name Amanda Stenberg. Stenberg. Okay, she is an actress. She is an African American actress, um, even though she bears a Zulu name, Amanda. And um, if you're not familiar with who I'm talking about, she is the young lady who played the role of Catalea in the Hunger Games, very big franchise, Hunger Games. Um, and what's happened is this young lady. I mean, she can't be older than 15 years old, from from what I'm seeing here. Yes, she has written. She's taken to the internet and she's written um, a column about um, how she feels about um, f- black features on, on women being adopted and being taken by white women and then them being celebrated. Are we on talking beauty shots here? We as are, opposed to well, old beauty shots. Listen, Matt. you, you <laughs> name it as Fasia, the, the thick, full lips, the, the big bum, you know, that all of that. And this young lady is basically saying, hang on. Why are these features celebrated on white women who are getting them cosmetically? Meanwhile, these are features that we were born with. And for the longest time, as black women, we were ridiculed for the way that we looked. So obviously, this has sparked a lot of conversation on the social media. I'm sure. Um, And rightly so. Okay. But in a way, isn't it fabulous that, you know, something that was considered, you know, just think about that lady um, who's sculpture was not her sculpture her body her stuffed body which which lady um i'm trying to remember her name who was taken from south africa and was like hang on um, sarah bartman sarah bar saki saki bartman thank you thank you yes thank you mandy wiener thank you man that's why we've got her here so that she can give us some gravitas and also facts (laughs) right right, when we need them Uh, but i mean truly she was considered this like sort of obscure oddity that they showed around europe and frankly now it has become the mainstream there's old what's her name with the very same ass or breaking the internet kim, kim kardashian kim kardashian having problems with names this morning it's slightly worrying look i i just think that this again goes back to the issue of no woman actually feeling 100% comfortable within her own skin which is another issue that we're going to touch on later in the show you know the fact that white women tan because they want to look darker and the fact that you know black women put weaves in their hair or they straighten their hair with chemical hair relaxers we're all just, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We're all just very unhappy with ourselves. Yeah, and uh, last week I was quite interested, though, in uh, the model Nikok Paul, who, you know, recently featured on a cover of a South African magazine. 
who was saying that, you know, she's sick. She did a post that also went viral, sick of being a dark-skinned African model who goes to shows in Europe, etc., and they don't have makeup for her. She has to bring her own makeup. Okay. And this goes to the very heart of, I suppose, what we're discussing here, which is that definitions of beauty must change. But I feel that they and, are changing. And what is considered beautiful must obviously change yes, as well. Yes, precisely. Okay. All right. But let us veer into politics for a moment, Mabs, because I was very, obviously, Greece and being of Greek extraction has been in the news Your homeland. for all the wrong reasons, the mm-hmm. motherland, this week uh, and last week. And frankly, for at least three weeks, it's been on a knife edge. And I was really interested to see that various profiles of the Greek leader taking Greece to the brink, said the FT, it's been all over the Daily Fail and all sorts of things, where they've been focusing on Alexis Tsipras' wife, saying, you know, she is kind of, when they profile him, now they're trying, she's a very media-shy somebody, but her name is Betty, and they're saying that really, truly, she is... um the person who keeps him grounded. She is the one that has kept this fella's idealistic, crazy flip-flop activities with feet to the ground. And I was quite interested. She is a school day sweetheart. She has a doctorate in engineering. And what's really interesting is that they're saying even in the darkest point of the intensifying Eurozone crisis, she insisted he walk his two young children to school in their working class central Athens neighborhood. So this is about the power behind the throne. I'm kind of interested in these role players. I mean, it's, it's interesting now. Obviously we keep on discussing Hillary Clinton. Well, I think it's even more interesting because a lot of the time, you know, the saying behind every great man is that mm. the man is usually the one in the spotlight. You know, he's kind of the face of the powerhouse, which is actually the woman kind of, you know, pushing the buttons and running the controls. And she's more than happy to be, you yeah. know, quietly so in the here background. They are quoting in the, well, she's not quietly in the background. Well, I mean, I she calls him and talks about, I haven't have heard of this woman until today. Electricity bill. Yeah. <laughs> when he's in the major like sort of negotiations and um apparently she is a woman of principle and a very strong character and i think that part of alexis's success in dealing with all this pressure is that betty is holding firm go betty all right so there you go um, do we have any new developments in terms of psychological studies? You know, we were because going we to talk about psychological studies, but I have just seen something that I think is even more interesting. Oh, okay. um, I'm sorry to, to mix things up just like that and freak you out. But apparently there is a huge trend on the interwebs of people posting their underarm hair <laughs> no, no, on no. the Internet. But they dyed underarm hair. So they, for example, Destiny Moreno, who is 17, dyed her underarm hair blue, I might add, as a feminist stance. And a video in which she showed off her new look has had more than 264,000 views on YouTube. What inspired this protest of growing your underarm hair and then taking a picture of it and then posting it on social media. I think it's quite interesting. She says, nobody questions when a guy wearing a tank top does a selfie that shows his armpit hair. But if I happen to show my armpit hair in a selfie, it's like, oh, feminist witch asking for attention. So, 
It transpires that actually the internet is up to its armpits oh. with women who die there. Miley Cyrus has newly pink underarms. Oh. And she got more than 396,000 likes since May 1st and 30,000 comments. And there are more than 700 women with on, on Instagram and only a handful of men who have posted the hashtag died pits. So, so there you go. And there is, oh, and there is a video, a blog post by Roxy Hunt who explains how to do this. Without so, injury. So the most obvious question that I need to ask then is what shade you're going to go for, Aspasia, to dye your pit? I am not going to free my pits. <laughs> I fear. I don't know. You know, I, I feel my pits are just fine I, in a hairless state. Well, I know that this may be an anti-feminist dance, but I don't think so. I think all pits are free and equal. Yeah, but is it really a feminist dance or is it just another opportunity to attract attention and trend on social media? Uh, you know, this is the problem. It's fine lines that we're dealing with here. Uh, well, well, here is the Associate Professor of Women and Gender Studies at Arizona State who said that she conducted a study of 62 women who stopped shaving their armpits and legs for 10 weeks and kept journals and discussed the frequently negative reactions from romantic interests, friends and family because, I don't know. How dare you be hairy? How dare you be hairy? But how dare you be purple pits? Free your pits, people. This is like post-free your nipple. Did you know about that one, Mandy? <laughs> no. Did you, did you free the nipple, lady? That is freeing the nipple. No, no, no. Let's not. We won't go there. I haven't, freed, there. My covered I haven't freed my nipple. We have, so. we have covered free the nipple at length here on, on between fact, two of course you on the woman's No, knees. we've, we've, um, yeah. we free things here. This Next, is... it's the vagina. We're oh, going to free it. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? That would be a good place to wrap it up for this week's edition of the women's news. people everyone okay um all right so as i mentioned we've got mandy wiener journalist author superwoman joining us in studio this afternoon it's good to have you back mandy thanks so much thanks and uh you are going well you've been doing a lot of good work and you've you've been doing some interesting work with um some women who are doing amazing things in putting rapists behind bars that's right so this month as part of the the feature that i do every month the, the mandy wiener report in Murray claire magazine um i have done a feature on the women who put rapists behind bars um and look there's a lot of them so it was quite a Difficult to, to, to just choose three. Choose three. Um, so what I decided to do was to go for um, a cop, a scientist, a forensic person, and a prosecutor, and picked one of those uh, each um, out of those categories and profiled and told the stories of these women, which are really representations of, of vast amounts of women out there who are in the police force, in the prosecuting authority, um, who are making it their life's work to put criminals behind bars, but who specialize also in serial rapists and, and, and catching them. I've often, well, maybe not often, but I've on occasion heard that part of the problem with um, with women who have been raped going to police stations to report the crime is sometimes the, the kind of treatment that they mm. receive mm. at these police stations in reporting their crime. I mean, you you must have some kind of experience with that from your work as a journalist. Very much so. In fact, uh, years ago, I did a story where I actually went to police stations to test the system myself, um, not posing as a as a rape victim, but to speak to police officers about whether they have raped 
kits because that's a huge issue. Mm-hmm. A lot of the hospitals don't have sufficient amounts of, of, of rape kits as well. Um, and the reception that you get from, from police officers and how difficult it is um, and the lack of sensitivity to, to rape survivors uh, when they want to open cases and, and how to deal with it. Um, a lot of concern around the amount of evidence and people being turned away saying, mm-hmm. well, we can't catch the person if, if there's no DNA. And it's, it's, it's almost become accepted behavior because it's so common. Yeah. Um, and that's why there isn't the, the necessary and sensitivity. And how common, how common is it exactly? I mean, when we look at the reported figures, what are we actually talking about? Well, the, the reported figure is, is one in nine. You yeah. know, that's the, the, the societally accepted um, number. number. Um, but of course, you know, from experts that you speak to, they say that the figure's far higher than that. Um, which is just astonishing when you think about how many women um, have been raped or stand a chance mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. being raped in South Africa. And that's why I felt it was so important to, to highlight these these women who are catching serial rapists and who who's making it their work to to track them down because it's it's one thing catching a rapist it's another to catch a serial rapist Mm. where um, people are repeat offenders uh, and and they they follow frequently do we have these serial rapists a lot a lot South Africa's got a very high rate of of serial rapists Um, you know and just speaking to these women it's so interesting to to listen to how how they catch one. Mm. The story, for example, of uh, Nomsa Masuku. She's a, she's a, a sergeant that we've um, that we've profiled in this feature, and and listening to her tell the story about how she was on the trail of Albert Morake, who's a, a serial rapist, when she was at the Tembita police station, mm. and what she actually had to do to catch him. I mean, she tells the story, and 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 I've tried to recount it um, in the in the article about how she would literally go out at night and park herself with a, a colleague at a tavern and pose as a potential victim with her cell phone and her car keys and everything on the table and have to sit there for hours on end in the hope that this person, Albert Muraki, she was trying yeah. to, to track would down, actually would target her. her. Yeah. All right. Well, we can hear a little bit of some of, this, uh, some of the work that you did with, Nom- with Nomsa. So let's listen in. Uh, an elder one understands now because he's old. He understood that it's my job. I've got to do it and if ever I've, because I will relate to them that, you know what, that, that case I've been going to court for a long time now, the guy is convicted and then he won't come out to, 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 to bother other people, and then they become happy. But the little one, especially the 12 year old one, doesn't understand it at all because whenever I go out, maybe during the night to trace a, a suspect, he will say, please, ma'am, be safe, uh, please, I'll make sure that I will pray, I won't sleep until you come back. I will stay awake until you come back. Make sure that you're safe and come back home. And how does that make you feel? I mean, are you okay going out knowing that they are at home, that something could happen to you? You know, I, I pray to God and say, if ever maybe I can die outside there, maybe it, it will be my time, maybe it will have come for me to die. But I, I, whenever I pray to God, I will say, please God, protect me because I'm going outside to protect your children that are being terrorized by criminals outside. And I know that God is always with me. Uh, I don't have that feeling that they can shoot me or do whatever. I'll be able to act first before they do. And your your little one, you had him while you were investigating this yes, case. Yes. How did you balance that emotionally and physically? It, it was not balancing at all because at times they will call me, my uh, helper, the nanny will call me during the night to the babies and I will hear the voice, the cries of the baby on the phone. The baby is crying. I'll even give my colleagues the phone that listen, he's crying so badly. Uh, let's quit and we'll see another day again. 
All right, so Mandy, that was Namsa, and you said she's a police officer, correct? Right, yeah, she's she's a, a sergeant who has three three boys, um, and this is you know what she has to do is go out and, and catch serial rapists, and and she has to manage that with with raising three children yeah. as well. Um, and, and I thought it was so important to ask her about that because of of, of how difficult it is for her. Um, and she's inspirational, though. I mean, I feel it's like almost like a life's calling. Absolutely, you know, she's so dedicated and, and passionate to, her. Um, and and. She just feels that the fact that she's a woman um, actually makes it easier for for her to relate to the victims um, that she's dealing with. And in fact, that was a a theme throughout the the women that I spoke to. Um, For example, I spoke to advocate Shabnam Singh, who's a a prosecutor in Johannesburg. And she also believes that being a female um, as a prosecutor, it's easier for her to to relate to the victims and she can get them to cooperate much better as as leading evidence. Um, She also has has two children um, who are grown. But she spoke to me as well, Shabnam Singh, the the Mm. prosecutor, about how the way that she's dealt with the stories that she's, she's had to handle and the evidence and it's so graphic and it's so, so deeply ingrained and um, how that influenced how she raised her children. I think they're proud. Uh, they also think I'm weird. They think I'm strange. I'm extremely paranoid. Uh, my daughter went to a function. Uh, it was an expo a couple of years ago and I was so paranoid that, you know, because of the type of jobs that we work with, I sent her a text every hour to make sure that she was okay. And, and eventually when she stopped answering me or when she did give me one word answers, I said, well, tell me something that only you and I know about so I know it's you so that I know that you weren't kidnapped or drugged. Don't leave your cool ring unattended. And her friends thought it was hilarious so I think you know they understand that I'm paranoid I'm overprotective and Do you I think you're definitely more neurotic because of the, the kind of so. crimes that you deal with I and the people so. that you see? You know, um, uh, people, when you talk to them with the type of crimes, they always say, we never thought it could happen to us. And if I'm, um, if my son is five minutes late, if he doesn't report to me that he's reached the university, I'm panicking. Uh, it's the worst case. It's the worst. Uh, I, I think I'm a nervous wreck because I'm so afraid. But I've learned with time that, you know, I've got to put my trust in God. Otherwise, this fear will overtake us and kill us. You know, and um, I, I think I'm a, I'm a little bit better now. I used to be a lot more paranoid, but I think I'm better now. Yes. Mandy, are these are these women going um, out of their way above the call of duty to 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 do what they're doing, or are they just doing their job? I, I think without, without a doubt they're going beyond the call of duty. Look, I, I deal with like a lot of of police officers and prosecutors on the ground, um, and you know people get quite cynical about the the capabilities and the commitment level, um, often because we see what's going on in the the higher echelons where there's a lot of mm. um, political corruption. concerns and corruption, and there's a lot of infighting within the NPA and the police. You know, there's a lot of factions and and, and all sorts of things going on, and concerns about corruption. Rea Piech is under fire, and there's a new NPA head in Sean Abrahams. You know, so people get quite distracted by that high level stuff. But in truth, there's a lot of police officers and prosecutors on the ground um, who actually are massively committed, who are passionate. And and I got that sense from all of these women that I spoke to that they they for, for them this is kind of um, something that they were born to do. Um, it's ingrained in them. They 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 want to make sure they have this this kind of sense of duty that it's a calling for many of them to to make sure that they get these people behind bars they work long hours um they sacrifice a lot with with their families um all because you know they have this belief that if i don't do it who will
and their peace of mind, it seems. Yeah, I think for a lot of them. I know, for, for example, you know, Shabnam Singh was telling me about how, um, you know, during a, a very graphic trial, um, where she'd be leading evidence all day about sodomy and all sorts mm. of things, you know, she'd come home and she'd be chopping tomatoes and would be thinking about whether she had led the evidence properly, whether she'd done, um, the, asked all the questions mm. she possibly could have. Um, and it's, you know, it affects you subliminally. Um, Leonie Russ, who is, uh, a very high ranking police officer who heads the victim identification unit at the police. Mm. Um, one of the, the, the women I spoke to, um, you know, she speaks about how it's something that, that you, you constantly have to deal with. For example, uh, she and a, a group of female um, police officers go every Saturday morning for a long walk together where they can offload yeah. and, and discuss it with each other. And do these women feel as if they're being support, supported by their fellow colleagues as they go above and beyond the call of duty to do their job? Very much so. You know, so, so some of them I spoke to said that um, they don't expect men or anyone to cut them slack mm-hmm. because they're a woman. Um, you know, all of them, um, I was quite interested, like Leonie Rush, for example, says that for her, she always arms herself with a stick of red lipstick um, and... Puts on a, um, you know, a, a coat of, of lipstick before she goes into a crime yeah. scene because for her it's important to feel good and look good. Um, you know, lipstick, so I always say is armor. That's frankly. how she views it as, <laughs> as armor. Um, you know, so Nomsa Masuku, you, if she walked into the room, you would not believe that she was a police officer. Right. You know, she's very well put together. She's um, <laughs> always in high heels. Yeah. When I met her, she was in pearls, um, you know, very well manicured, uh, and you just never believe that that this is a, a mm, cop because mm. there's a stereotype mm. um you know so uh, some of them i think use their femininity to their advantage um and don't see it as any kind of a hindrance at all and they do feel they feel that a lot of them feel like they uh, I, I get the sense that perhaps they've specialized because they couldn't be boots on the ground um so like normsa for example couldn't go out and be a patrol officer because she said that the guys thought she was too small she was mm. too petite. Mm. Um, and I think that's maybe why she's refined her skills. Um, Interesting. But, yeah. Somebody, Nathan, Nathan specifically has said, Mandy, the work you do is amazing. So many of these women have no voice. Thank you for giving them a voice. Oh, oh, that's great. Oh, Nathan, thanks. It's just so nice because, I mean, these women do amazing work, you know, like they, and they don't get highlighted. Um, and, you know, these are the people the, on the ground who are, in our courts every single day fighting the fight who are out in um, townships who are hunting down criminals um, and it's so important that when people are so cynical and we're seeing so know, much corruption yeah. that's why I felt we yeah. must yeah. do this story when you pitched it I was like brilliant and I mean Mandy is there a far larger proportion of these women and just people in general doing good work because you know a lot of the time you talk about the police force in South Africa and it is a very cynical approach that we take they're lazy they don't know what they're doing they're all corrupt but I mean are the, are the numbers of people doing good in the police, in the legal system, um, surely they outweigh the number of the corrupt ones who are making the rest of them look bad. It's it's so hard to say numerically, yeah. you know, to to put a, a number on it. Um, but I mean, I can tell you from my experience, you know, I I spend a lot of time in the country's courts, um, and I'm just, I'm talking about like not the high court in Joburg mm. only, but magistrates' courts and regional courts. Um, and speaking to this place, smell terrible. I'm really sorry, she said, bad. but like that yeah. is my one primary well, overwhelming experience. Well, I mean, of it. 
you have numbers of people crammed in a room from uh, for basically the whole day in in these yeah, courts. Yeah, and and you get the most like fascinating reflection of society. Mm. Um, I was in the Germiston Magistrates Court last week, and you see the craziest things and the most <laughs> interesting people, and it really the overwhelming indelible memory you will have is the smell. Oh wow! Because it really just is. It's a lot of people yeah. who are packed into a you know a small room for a long period of time. Yeah. And there's a lot of you know. Accused and anyway, the point is that there are a, a lot of prosecutors and cops who are out there on the ground. Busting a gut. Busting I mean, a gut. I should mention here a friend of mine was raped in a house robbery incident. And what truly impressed me is that about a year and a half after the, the whole thing, they'd shut down the case and what have you. This police officer who was working on f- in the fingerprint division. Basically put two and two together and said to her, would she be willing? They'd found him. He was a serial rapist. And because they'd identified the, made the connection with the fingerprints, they went back and found her. And there we were two years later sitting in court with this man about, that is what is so terrible about this mm. stuff. The intimacy of court. So we were sitting. About like five meters away, and five to meters testify. away from this guy. If he reached out at her, he could have touched her. Yeah, he and he did. He kept on like he had this like I mean he really had the shaded view. These eyes that were like hooded, like it was terrible. But you know, then you find out their terrible story. Oh, he's the father of like I don't know eight kids. The social worker was saying he mustn't go away for too long because the sole provider. You're like really. It was terrible, but I think for me the worst part was the intimacy. Mm, very, and and that's what Shabnam Singh yeah. says is that a lot of her work is about getting people to testify because it's so difficult to women to testify in an open Say court it like all that. Again. Um, to for the secondary trauma and re- reliving all of that, and she says that being a woman prosecutor, it's sometimes easier for victims to open up to her and and to relate because she takes on a mother figure with them. Mm. Um, you know, and, and and that you know, it's not just about the cops catching the bad guys. It's about leading the evidence in court and prosecuting them and getting a successful conviction. And look, you know, I'm, I'm trumpeting the success and the good work here, but then you have people who have very different experiences. You'll speak to a lot of victims whose cases are lost and there's no will to solve them yeah. and they're turned away and, you know, there's I no was hope. just so impressed. I mean, by the, by the actual dedication of this guy. In the fingerprint division, I couldn't believe it. Um, Nathan is continuing. He says they're Nathan's superwoman. <laughs> Nathan's a fan. They're superwoman and they're superman, and now they're supermandy. Great conversation, highlighting women superheroes. I love this, Nathan. <laughs> Thanks, Nathan's Nathan. my man. Nathan's <laughs> no, your Nathan's man. My man. Yeah, yeah, actually, I'm not yeah. taking man- Nathan from you, Mandy. You can you can have him. But you digress because what I digress, you, what I digress. You, but I was saying that, like, for me, the the focus, the focus of of these people who do then, like, you know, he could have just given up, but the fact that everyone persevered, mm. and you know, this girl's life fell apart. She moved to a different city to get away from the the memories of this incident. 
But the closure was very important, and I think that's your third your third person was the forensic. Yeah, Leonie Specialist. Russ, um, who heads the, the victim identification unit, and she's actually one of the most senior police officers in, in the SAPS. And if you, if you met her, you'd also never know that she had quite a yeah. flamboyant hairstyle, yes. I might add. Yeah, she, and in she's the picture also in Marie Claire. Very, very yes. put together. Um, and, and, you know, it's actually quite, like, soft-spoken and, you know, she, you, you just never guess that she's a, a police officer. Um, and she's incredibly experienced. You know, she's been in the police service for a long time. She's worked on so many high profile cases from Lee Matthews to Inga Lotz and, you know, mm. her, in fact, her very first case she ever, ever dealt with was the Van Royen case. Um, you know, the story of, of the um, uh, um, in the 1980s of, of the man and his wife who kidnapped all the little girls who were on the milk cartons. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So she actually um, processed that scene. That's how long she's she's been around. Um, and and for her, you know, she she looks after the victims, and very often um, it's the deceased. You know, so mm. she gets the bodies, um, and then has to see if there's any kind of um, connection or pattern between victims that could point to a serial rapist. Um, and and you know, it's, it's that CSI kind yes. of work. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you know that's become like a hugely popular course to study at at universities as a result, I think, of the highlight on, on, on television of how these shows glamorize yeah. it. And They've glamorized it, like, oh. it, but is it glamorous, Maddie? That's what work. I want to know. I think that. And I've done a lot of interviews with um, forensic pathologists and and CSIs for for other stories that I've worked on in the past, and all of them say that CSI is just not an ap- accurate reflection because things will happen in like twenty four hours. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Whereas I know that there's a backlog if you want to test blood samples in this country of eight years. Seriously. Yeah. There's an eight year backlog. Yeah. So it doesn't happen in twenty four hours, and a lot of the technology is not so. So Fancy. obvious. I mean, there is yeah. that like amazing thing on Hawaii Five. Oh, they've got that like screen, and I was like, oh my god, I don't know what's going Aphis. on there. And they put everything through Aphis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, so it's not. I mean, it, it, the forensics happens here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's there's an amazing forensics laboratory. Um, you know, new ones that have been mm-hmm. opened in South Africa. Um, but still, you know that one of the big um, sticking points with the criminal justice system is getting forensics tested. Mm. And that's why a lot of rapist case, for example, take a very long time or, or fall apart because of that backlog. And in spite of all the challenges that you mentioned there, these women still, you know, they're prepared to dig their heels in mm-hmm. and just to push a little bit extra to try and get. And if they don't do it, who will? Well, exactly. That's the thing. All right. It's a very Inspiring story. It is, and we can read more about it in. Is it in this issue? It's in this month's issue. This month's issue. Still on the shelf. And there's a a full podcast as well. If if you want to listen to to more of their voices. Fantastic, Mandy Wiener. Thank you very much, and thanks so uh, much. Thank you for doing the good work that you do do. Thank you. Thank you, lovely Super Mandy. Mandy. (laughs) See you soon, Super Mandy. Nathan wants to see you soon too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're between two friends on clipcentral.com. Oh yes, thank you very much Mr. Jamie Fox. Look at you um, trying to, well I guess not trying but indeed making your comeback. Thank you very much. Uh, you're with Between Two Friends on another Thursday afternoon, cliffcentral.com um, I wanted to say the next investigation that Mandy Wiener is doing for mm. us yeah, is yeah. about Uber. 
Oh, well, you which know. Which is, you know, pretty. They, um, they have been in the news a, a lot. lot of late. And it's not just here at home. It's globally. They just seem. I was in Paris when they had, like, what's her name? The, stuck in the, um, in the. Courtney Love. Courtney Love. Uh, being attacked in, in, in the being Uber. Being attacked, making her escape. I was like, wow. Courtney Love, always in the thick of it. <laughs> um, we're going to move swiftly along now to our next uh, guest. Well, actually, she's on the line. We've got Nosizwe Vundla, who's the Associate Brand Director for Procter & Gamble. Um, good afternoon, Nosizwe. Can you hear me? How are you? Oh, fantastic. Uh, it's good to have you joining us this afternoon. Um, I'm just sorry we can't see your lovely face in our studio. Oh. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time. But we are wanting to discuss your always hashtag like a girl campaign because you have done some very interesting research, which I actually found quite disturbing. And perhaps you can tell us a little bit about it. I can. Okay. So, um, the, um, you know, as a, as a brand always is about, you know, helping girls you know, achieve their dreams, overcome obstacles. And as part of that journey, um, and the fact, you know, and we speak with thousands and thousands of girls, you know, every, every, single, every single year in South Africa. And as part of that journey and speaking to these girls, um, what we found is that the majority of them, actually 70% of girls, feel that society limits them, you know, and puts unnecessary pressures on them and kind of defines who they are or who they should be, if I can put it that mm. way, yeah. And it's happening at a time, This and, and it generally happens at around the time when the girl is going through puberty. And, I mean, we all went through that process. It's already, it's a tough, it's a tough time as it is. You know, you're just trying to figure out, you know, who you are and what's happening to your body and all this. And then at the same time, you know, society and the people around you are consistently trying to, you know, push messages, you know, in your head about who you should be. So... So what we found is that seven out of ten of these girls, you know, are going through this, you know, um, and their confidence completely shattered. Um, and so always decided to do something about it. And that's what the whole Like a Girl campaign is about. So how do we empower these, these girls by teaching them confidence and, you know, helping them own being a girl and a woman um, to empower them and help them be unstoppable? So that's, you know, broadline what the campaign um, is about, but of course I can tell you more details about the actual campaign and what we're going to do in South Africa as well. No, so are these girls before... across the world? Sorry? Are these girls across the world, Norseaswe? Yes. So yeah, 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 yeah. So this is, I mean, this is a global issue, yeah. So the, the, the work that we did as a brand was actually, it was global research. Um, and, and the fact, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and the fact that, um, um, these are issues that are faced, you know, globally. And, uh, what I what I know because we 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 talk to girls um, you know locally as well is that what what we found is that these issues are universal. So sure, the research was done you know all over the world in the U.S. or whatever, but the fact that you know even if you watched the initial like a girl video, which I'm sure you did, you know, yes. I mean I, I know when I watched it, I, was, I got goosebumps because you know there was this American girl talking, yeah, and she's been miles and miles away from me and probably had you know, a totally different upbringing for me. But the fact that I resonated so closely with this global this global campaign just shows how relevant it is for us here in South Africa as well. So, yes, it's a global campaign, but it's a, a, a very relevant one for us for us locally. So the, the confidence issues are faced here in South Africa as well. Um, and and, and I mean, even in addressing it, we're going to be very specific. So, I mean, in South Africa, we go into 
we see about just under you know half a million girls every year with um, various puberty education programs we run, and the fact that we can actually go into schools and help curb this and help grow the girls' confidence is, is, is an exciting thing for the always brand. No, Cesar, it's just a little bit disappointing and, you know, perhaps a little shocking for some that still in 2015, uh, the struggle still continues for the young girl and, and, the, and the young woman in, in our world. Mm. No, it is, it is disappointing, but um, I, guess it's, I, I guess it's the reality. And I think um, what's, what's so cool about the, the Like a Girl campaign, you know, when it started, so it was actually launched a year ago. Um, we didn't actively exploit it here. But I think the, the great thing about the Internet is that even though it was an American campaign, we, we kind of all saw it here thanks to YouTube and the like. In fact, I think 90 million people across the world saw the Like a Girl campaign. So I think the first step is acknowledging that there was an issue. And I think that was the first part of the campaign. So, you know, um, putting this message out there that, look, you know, um, there's this issue out there. The fact that most girls actually... Um, you know, are ashamed of the fact that they're like a girl. So when I told, when someone is told, you know, you run like a girl, it's never a good thing, you know. Or when you're told you hit a ball like a girl, it's not a good thing. So I think first putting the awareness out there and um, and people realizing it for the first time, because even this conversation we're having now, maybe people didn't realize it was such a huge issue, but hopefully after we discuss this, you know, it's that aha moment which then triggers the next the next action. So, okay, yes, being like a girl is, 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 is not a bad thing. It's actually an awesome thing. But then the next step is, okay, like, um, how do I now help empower girls everywhere? And it's, I know it's, it's us females talking right now, but I think it's a conversation for everyone, men and women, you know. How do we then empower them? So what um, are some of the things level. that you're actually doing? Uh, yeah. This way? yeah, so um, I think there are two key things that we're doing. So um, I mentioned that we see we see um, almost half a million girls every year with our puberty education program. So what we're going to do is we're actually launching a, a confidence a confidence a, a confidence curriculum, yeah, and it's a global con- confidence curriculum. So I think in talking to, to girls all across the world, what we've managed to do is really understand what the issues are. We've then partnered with psychologists and confidence experts to create this manual. We're going to help. We're going to spread this message in South Africa specifically through our puberty education. That's the first way. The second way is that we've actually partnered with TED, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. um, you and your listeners um, watch TED videos. And, you know, TED is all about spreading inspiring ideas. So the fact that they're partnering with us, that tells you what an important idea they think it is also. So we're partnering with them to create engaging content from a confidence uh, manual point of view, and we're going to spread this message via TED. Um, on, on video. So those are the two key ways I would say we're, we're spreading the confidence message. So yes, the videos are great and the new video is great and it's going to help continue drive that awareness. But the, the tangible thing is this confidence curriculum that we're going to help spread to South Africa. So what, what, what is in the confidence curriculum? It sounds to me like we all, we all could use with some of that confidence curriculum. <laughs> this, this is, this is very true. So what we, what we actually did is that, so, so I mentioned that we partnered with psychologists and, um, and, and, and then, of course, the, a lot of the knowledge that we did. So it's basically, um, it's, it's, it's taking, um, site, um, how do I say, it's taking a lot of the learnings that we've gotten in terms of building confidence, because what we also found along the way is that you can actually build this confidence. So and you can actually teach confidence or help the girls get that confidence. So it's, it's a whole lot of um, content which will help in that regard. And um, I think you raise a good point in terms of I think more than just um, teenagers could use this. So, um, and I, I guess that's where TED comes in. So, we'll have access to it too, even though we're not teenagers. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, no, Cesar, I think it is worth mentioning just the the impact that these these negative feelings that these young girls have about themselves evidently has, because this is the kind of thing that seeps into every aspect of your life. It affects you as a as a student, you know, in class learning and trying to compete to become yes. your best. It affects you in your career one day as an older woman. It affects you in your relationships. Yes. Well, with we spoke yes. about the Harvard Business School, yeah. where people who'd actually arrived at Harvard, I mean, it, women, it, it essentially de- felt like fake. It, it, defense, yes. it, it essentially yes. debilitates yes. you in every aspect of your life, correct? Yeah. It's ama- I mean, you're, 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 you're hitting the nail like right on the head. Because and, and that's why I think like even when I said that I related to this video that of teenage girls talking, like you think that I mean I was a teenager a long time ago, but you think that you know I would have gotten over it, but it's, it's exactly your point. You don't get over it as a woman, you know? And those insecurities still remain. And I know the Harvard case that you're talking about yes. and the fact that you know, you're sitting in Harvard the fact that you're in Harvard alone tells you something, it's, right? It's an accident. Right, exactly. <laughs> and but then the they're not speaking up in class, so exactly. they're actually imagine. failing can because. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's, it's actually it's crazy when you think about it. But as as I mean, when your confidence is shattered, it's, it's actually one of the toughest things to get back. And I'm sure we can all relate. Well, perhaps to that, because right? the teenage girl continues to yeah. live inside of us forever. Yeah. Yeah. I always yeah. hear her voice. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. light. I call it. But there she is. <laughs> or sometimes it's Aspasia very dark because I also went through a goth phase as a teen. I was like, oh, my word. Yeah, yeah, no, you have to go through a sort of dark emo phase. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it helps characterize you. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the issue. So, it's, I mean, the fact that it doesn't leave, you know, um, I think is what, what this, the, the whole program will, will help address. So hopefully, you know, in 10 years' time, girls that were, you know, lucky enough to be have access to the curriculum, you know, the confidence curriculum, and to get their confidence back, won't have an issue raising their hand at Harvard or this or UCT or wherever they go to school, and you know can confidently speak up in meetings when they're in corporate, and you know sit at the table as opposed to you know kind of hovering at the back, and that's what it's all about. Because I think we're all empowered, you know, as South Africans, when you know half our population is, you know, because right now it's like half our population is empowered, about a hundred percent of it is empowered, and that's what this is about. You know, I heard an interesting question being asked by Rosie, uh, Rosie Modena just this morning. And she mm. said, why is it that whenever a young girl or a young woman wants to speak out, or mm. speak up against something or speak up about something, mm. the knee-jerk mm. reaction is to shut her down. It's to mm. tell her to, to mm. sit back in the corner and be quiet, mm. you know, whether, whether it be in a boardroom. Nobody it's, puts, uh, <laughs> what's it? Baby, baby, in, the baby in the corner. You know, the, the, <laughs> other, the, the other knee-jerk reaction is to... Is to um, call her names, you know, to say, "Oh well, yes, she's a forward, you know, she's a feminazi." So really, yes, like, oh, yes, I, this yes. this is something. No, feminism is a dirty word. <laughs> oh well, it's filthy yes, f word. Yes. It's the new F word, but the other F word exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I think we all agree that this is this is a kind of narrative that needs to change. We we need to stop this this knee jerk reaction of wanting to shut women up when they want to speak Mm. up about something and speak Mm. out. Mm. Well, for Mm. me, I think as soon as there's salary parity, then they will will shut up. As soon as everyone earns the same amount of money Mm. for the same work, Mm -hmm. sure. Mm. Then I'll, I'll keep quiet yeah. because, but up until that point, you know, there is the yeah. example when you go in and ask for a salary. And this is that, this is that other research is that women tend to undersell themselves yeah. and yeah. men 
totally oversell, oversell themselves. So that we may have like a much higher skill set, yeah. but we're underselling yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And the men have like a much lower skill set, but they've got cojones. Yeah. They've got the balls. Yeah. They're it going is. in there and they're is. saying, hey, yeah. I deserve yeah. X. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. go and, in, and, yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. And I don't yeah. even go no. in. I just want to say that personally, I've never gone in, which is terrible to just say, hello, yeah. I think you should pay me more. Yeah. 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 No, but it, it, it's actually interesting. I'm one of those seven out of ten girls. Yeah, I think we all are, right? And I think, you know, part of it is like even beyond the money. I, I remember when, um, I, when I was promoted to this role and I had to, you know, order business cards. Yeah. And it, I actually felt like, timid or shy, you know, to call myself director, you know, mm. and that's, and, and I was like, I've worked for this, I've owned this, but you know, there's still that, oh my God, am I, you know, do I deserve this? Do I, you know, there's that hesitance, but the fact is that you, I mean, you're there because you're there for a reason, you work for it, you, oh, you deserve it. But, and I think that those are the sort of insecurities we all face. So the fact that you say you've never been asked for a salary increase or you've never asked. You know, yeah, you I've never like, outright asked for it. They've I mean. had to offer yeah. it to me. That's now, this is a question that I like to ask mothers because, you know, I'm not a mother yet, but I don't know Neither if you, am I. Oh, okay. <laughs> not well, yet. Well, not yet, but I mean, you know, I'll ask this question anyway, because what role do, do mothers and fathers as well? Let's, let's be honest. This is a, you know, it's, it's a two parent situation, but what role do parents play in raising more confident young girls? In making sure that, you know, she's, she doesn't feel intimidated to raise her hand in the class to ask a question or to answer a question that's been asked. In the home, how do we start doing, making that process, raising more confident young girls? You know, I think again, the disclaimer here being that I'm not a mom, so I'm just going to talk from what, what, what I've seen is, you know, I think, um, Setting the right example is always the best teacher. And if you think about in life the people who you learned the most of, most from, or even how your character was built, yeah, it's based on what you saw. So um, if I were to you know, fast forward to when I'm a mom or what I have seen from my mom, because I think my mom was an excellent example here, was you know you kind of live the life or the role model the life you want your child to um you know, to, to, to live. So if you want your, you know, if you want her to speak up, you need to speak up. If you want her to, you know, you know, be, you know, travel the world or, you know, the, you know, get, capture her dreams, you know, you need to do that as well because she's watching, you know. And it's not just moms. Um, I, you know, like I always say, I think my dad is the biggest feminist I know, you know, and he's the one who's, you know, constantly pushing those messages that, you know, you need to speak up these way. You need to, you know, you know, you need to go for what you want. So I think it's, for me, um, just based on what I've seen in life and the people I have learned the most from, it's definitely, um, as a parent, I'll think um, living the life you want your kids, or kind of role modeling um, is the best way to teach it. I mean, you're reminding me of, I don't know if any of you watched the Chimananda and Gozi Adichie. Um, she gave a commencement yes. speech. Yes. It was so moving and she spoke specifically of the specific things her mother had told her. One part was like, wear lipstick with confidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also mm-hmm. it was the life lessons were the sorts of life lessons that you exactly do need to impart to young women. But there's also been recent research now, which has just come out where they've followed across many countries. I think we've mentioned them in the women's news, um, badly, but where they followed the daughters of working women mm-hmm. and they found that now they were modeling very powerful role models because mm. the daughters of working women 
were all in positions of greater responsibility and authority mm-hmm. at work. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm in any way undermining the role of non-working of women, but it was, exactly. well, but I mean, it was it, it, very, it's intri- the corporate ladder, so there are levels. I mean, we yeah, understand but, this. But this is what they were saying is that the, the, they were in fact those modeling things and they were earning higher salaries. Mm. And so there is something to be said about the modeling thing yeah. that you were talking mm. about. And the, the mm. sons of those working women were far mm. more likely to be, to, to, to demonstrate parity in homes, mm. in their mm. home life. Yeah. So they were actually caregiving, uh, of their children far more. They were doing more housework because they'd actually had that role modeling that was, positive mm. and it yeah. was about sharing <laughs> yeah yeah and sharing the responsibilities yeah. mm. but it's very it's very interesting and very very moving and important work there was one other thing i wanted to ask you because here in south africa obviously we have the huge problem of girls not actually being able to go to school because they do not have yes. sanitary towels sanitary towels yes. Yes. They don't have always. Yes, imagine that. Imagine that. Um, yeah, and you know, it's so um, it's it's actually a big, big issue. So it's actually one we picked up about um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe seven, seven, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So what we saw, what the research showed, is that you know, like in school, um, the girls and the boys would be doing you know equally well. So the early years, yeah. I mean, if you look at the girls' marks, look at the guys' marks, they were on parity. Then. At around 13 years old, all of a sudden, something went funny. Like, all of a sudden, the girls' marks, you know, dropped. And this mm. was seeing it across the continent. And, and, and after digging in, we realized that the, the, the big difference was that when the girls got their periods and they couldn't afford pads, you don't go to school because you can't go to school. Mm. So what, what this essentially meant that, you know, seven days, let's say, out of a month, Girls were not going to school. Just in this, imagine missing seven days of school every month. Like, there's no way you can compete, yeah? Mm. And I think it was a light bulb, bulb moment for all of us, you know, at, 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 at P&G and the Always brand. And that's when we kicked off this program. So what we essentially do is enable hundreds and thousands of girls across South Africa without always keeping girls in school initiatives by First of all, educating them, telling them what their periods are, because many of them didn't even know. Like, it would arrive and they're like, okay, what is going on here? Um, so educating them on, this, on puberty, but then on top of that, giving them pads so that they don't miss those seven days of school. And, the, 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 like, the impact is immediate. Once the girl mm-hmm. starts going back to school, the, the marks go back up. She's able to compete again, and she, 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 she's able to long-term provide to society and just, you know, just be a better person, you know, because um, we've empowered her to do this. So, it, yeah, that's one of the – it's a very, very important program that we run and one we're very proud of. Well, me thank too. you. Thank you very much for joining <laughs> us this afternoon. Uh, Nortsi's Reverend Associate Brand Director. Own it. Own it. Uh, own, own it. it. <laughs> Lean in. <laughs> Associate yeah. Brand Director at Procter & Gamble. Uh, thank you very much for uh, t- talking to us about the initiatives that, that always are doing. Uh, it was great having you this afternoon to shed some light thank you. on a topic that maybe some people just didn't even think was an issue, really. But there yeah. you go. It's awesome being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. You, you too. too. All right. Well, there you go, Aspasia. Huh. Have you seen that whole campaign online? Um, the where they're sharing their periods, period stories. No, it's very interesting. We'll talk about it next week in the women's news.
All right, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll save it for next week. Yeah, let's save it. Let's save it. I have to save something. <laughs> okay, which is, uh, which is when we'll be back with you again next week, Thursday on Between Two Femmes. Otherwise, uh, be sure to download the podcast. And, uh, this is cliffcentral.com. Bye. Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com.